So thank you, ushers, for doing that. Some of you see Wilfred outside uh, parking the cars. So we want to say thank you, Wilfred, for serving. He's one of our council members also. So be nice to him when you're driving in or he's trying to find you parking. Just, just be nice to him. Well, this is our Wednesday Equip and Disciple, so we welcome you tonight. If this is your first time and you have not been here ever before, we want to say welcome to you too. We're going to have a fabulous time. Uh, some of you break up into the different groups, and we have our Bible study as well as our topical study that will be happening tonight. And if you are missing our, uh, sun, our Wednesday night service because you're in one of those sessions, then you can check it out on our podcast or our vidcast online or through our, through our New Hope app. And that way you can catch up with what we're talking about tonight. And so when you break up in your groups, just know that you can still learn what's happening in here. A lot of what we talk about in here is casting vision about what's happening in the church. But for those that will be outside, you'll be going through those um, various things. And you'll be going through the book of Proverbs uh, as well as the finances. So you'll be having a great time tonight. Okay, so I'm going to dismiss you and you can go to your various locations. For those who are going to be in here, you may be seated and our youth are going to head out to the other side nice and quietly. They're so well behaved. Now, for those of us who are going to be in here, let's turn to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. should be easy to find because it's in the beginning. And those are the actual words that were written uh, when God first created, it was in the beginning that God created. But in the beginning, when God created, there was also some things that were taking place as God made man. And when God made us as human beings, he gave us the freedom to choose. And if you know the story about the Garden of Eden, when God created, he created a beautiful place for Adam and Eve to live in. And there, was, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. And the other was, do you know what it was? The knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of knowledge of good and evil. So you had these two trees in there. And God said, you shall not eat of this fruit, this tree. Because if you do so, then you will surely die. So Adam and Eve knew about that. And they passed by that tree, I don't know how many times. But there was one day that, of course, the enemy came. The devil came along and whispered some words to Eve. And we know from the story what took place. But we're going to be talking about how do we hear God and if that is even God. And, and if you want to put a title there, then you want a, a title tonight that uh, is it God or how do I know it's God? If you want to write that question, how do I know it's God? And in this series that we're going through on Wednesday night, Conquering Everyday Battles, we want to know how do I know if it's God? Because sometimes it can sound good, but is it really God? Some things look good, like the fruit on the tree. It looked good. God created it. But we can't eat of the fruit? How is this even possible? Why would God even make something so good that I can't even eat from? Why would he even make a tree of knowledge of good and evil if I can't even receive from it? What's the good in that? And so even though it looked good... It wasn't God for them to eat it. And there is a reason for that. And most of it is because God gave us the freedom to choose. There had to be a choice in order for Adam and Eve to understand what love was all about. Because in a relationship with God, that's the number one thing that God is after. It's love. 
The Bible tells us we can only love God because he first loved us. Now, in our Wednesday night equip, uh, on our Wednesday nights, we go through our four circles. And the reason why I go through these four circles is so that you'll get an idea of what our church consists of and, and how we function as a church. And these four circles are areas that God has given to us. And we talk about stewardship. We talk about small groups, we talk about serving, and we talk about Sundays and Wednesdays. And God has given us a spirit to steward. And if God didn't give us a spirit to steward, then we'd be like robots. If, if we didn't have a choice to obey, then we would be like everything else that must obey God, like the planets in our solar system. They just rotate because of God's word. When God said, let there be light, light must shine. That's the choice. That's the only choice that light has. It's to shine. And so when God created us, he gave us the freedom to choose so that we could love him. And so being wise stewards of our spirits, we're going to look at tonight, how do I know if it's God? And some time ago, Heidi and I had this phone call from this uh, one person that was shooting a movie here in Hawaii. And they said, hey, if you want to be a part of one of the extras, then we have a role for you to play in. And it's a, it's a movie that we're shooting uh, on the, it was going to be on Oahu. And if you fly out, and they gave us a, a certain time, if you fly out, you can meet us there. And then we're going to do this uh, quick uh, shooting of this film. And just your scene, and then we'll pay you like 300-something dollars, and we'll fly you over, and, and you'll be fine with it. You'll, you'll, you'll get, that, uh, you'll get the uh, paycheck for it, and, and then who knows where that will lead. It may lead to another thing, and then so forth. So as time went on, Heidi and I was thinking about this, and we had to fly there, plus we had to front the money. So we fronted the money, and then it turned out that it was a scam, and for Heidi and I, we were out 300-something bucks. We were, we were out of that. And we didn't even have that much money. So we, were, we lost money on that. And I thought about scams that happen. And even in our day-to-day, there's right now a tax scam that's going on, if you didn't hear about it. And someone will call you on your phone and say, don't hang up. If you do, the police will be at your house in a moment. And you'll get arrested because you owe back taxes. So one thing we know is the IRS will never call you on the phone. They're just not going to do that. They're going to do it another way, probably through the mail, and there's a process. So if someone calls you up and says, if you hang up the phone, the police are going to come to you. I'll say, okay, send them, click, hang up the phone. It's a scam. So Heidi and I were, was out that much money. People in this tax scam are out, they're, they're out of their money as well as those who are doing this scam, they accumulated millions of dollars. And we hear about scams all the time, especially because of the Internet. We're going to get emails and we're going to have our Facebook posts saying different things and and we're going to get duped into thinking that this is the truth. And it's hard to discern because if you're in a lifestyle that kind of matches up to that, then you're going to freak out. You're going to say, this must be real. Well, for Adam and Eve... They were close to God. They had a relationship with God. They, had, they didn't have anything that separated their relationship with God. There was nothing there that caused them to have a bad relationship with God. Until someone shows up. And I'm going to read to you, and if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 1 
through 6. And if you, if you don't have your Bibles, it's okay, I'll, I'll read it. So now they're in the garden, and the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. It's almost like she's saying, hello, how are we going to survive? There's a lot of trees here. We can eat of any tree of the tree of any, any of the fruit trees. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. And then she adds her own words, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So the devil is very crafty. The Bible says he was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. So the devil knows what to say. In other words, he will kind of slip in some words here and there that will make you, uh, will cause you to be distracted from what God is actually saying to you. So even though God speaks something to you, and then the devil comes in, you're going to begin to twist what God has already said due to our, our own human nature. Because if the devil can just cause us to twist just a little bit of what God said, then we'll begin to consider what the devil has said. And that's what he's doing right here with Adam and Eve. Well, in this case, with Eve. And so the woman said, no, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And God didn't say, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And then like any good woman, she fed her husband. So she also gave to her husband, and her, her husband ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And then they knew that they were naked, and then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So now their relationship with God is kind of is shaky right now. And now they're in a place where their relationship is so broken with God that they don't, they don't want to be in his presence. In fact, God looks for them and says, hey, where are you? And Adam said, oh, I was hiding because I was afraid. I was ashamed because I was naked. And God says, did you eat of the fruit? Who told you you were naked? And it's like Adam and Eve came to such a broken relationship with God that they had to find a man-made way of hiding. And that's why they sowed these fig leaves. These fig leaves wouldn't last long. They would only crumble. And it's like us. When we choose to disobey God, we can only cover up ourselves with only human, human, a human way of thinking, which doesn't last long. It'll soon crumble. And whenever we have these battles that we deal with every day, especially when we say, I don't know if it's God. How do I know if it's God? How, how do I even know if, if it's his voice? When we deal with those kinds of thoughts, we must go back to God. Never back to ourselves, never back to someone else, never asking other people for advice. Go back to God because it's God's voice that will help us to understand who he is, and if it is definitely him who's speaking to us. 
And so all of us, even the wisdom that God gives to us to be used in this life, even that wisdom, we always must check with the Word of God. Because we can use the Word of God in any way we would want to and justify our means in any way we want to. We can do that. We're that deceitful to ourselves. And then we play it off like, okay, it's God, and if it is God, then it should turn out okay. The problem with that, though, is just like the fig leaves, when we try and figure it out on our own, it'll soon crumble, and we won't last. The relationship that we have with God will be on shaky ground. Well, thanks be to Jesus Christ, who came to set us free from that kind of manipulation from the enemy. See, when Jesus came in, he did battle for you. He battled the enemy for you. We could not conquer the enemy because he's just too crafty, but with Jesus Christ, we can. And so we're going to learn some ways on how we can defeat the devil, especially when we're asking ourselves the question, ourselves the question, how do I know if it's God? Because you're going to hear voices from the devil or you're going to hear your own conscience or the ways of the world, and you're also going to hear the voice of God. So we got to try and get to the place where with all of these voices, how do I know if it's God? See, there's not much God can do with us. Not much God can do with man when, when we don't see our need for God. If we don't feel we need God, then he can't do much with that. He, he really can't help us unless we see our need for him. That's, that's the whole relationship with God. That's the, that's the choice that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. That, do you see your need for me? And Adam and Eve said, no, because we have food here. Why would we need you? And so they chose to disobey God, feeling they have no need for God. But come to find out, yep, they actually needed God. So Satan tempts us in the very same way that he tempted them back then. And we're deceived into thinking with our natural senses that this is God rather than God at his word because that's what happened with Eve. She didn't take God at his word. She started to think with her natural senses and then that became the standard in which she chose to live by in making decisions. It was no longer what God said. It was, wait a minute, what is, what is this other option? And so her standard dropped down and Adam and Eve made some decisions that didn't cost them, you know, $300 like Heidi and I. It costed them their relationship with God. And it costed them a life that could have been. Well, we don't want to end up like Adam and Eve in this life. We, we think because something looks good, then it must be God. But we're going to learn how we can win the battle of choosing God over what looks good. James 117 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So the Bible is telling us that even though we change, even though we shift, God never does. God has a way for us to live a certain standard so that as we live in this world, we won't get duped by the enemy. We can actually live by the standards of God. So it's not God who changes. It's us. And every person can sharpen their decision-making process 
by applying these three biblical principles. And the first one is this, and you can write this in if you're taking notes. Measure good by God's standard. Measure good by God's standards. I don't know if we have our notes up here. Do we have our notes? That way they can follow along. That way I don't have to repeat myself over and over. But measure good by God's standard. And God has a standard. He has a standard, not just good. You know, we we use the word good in so many different ways, but God's standard is more than just good. Because how do we know what good means? Do we say, oh, it's good for me, so it must be God? How do we know what's best for us, not what's good for us? We got to realize that there, is, there, is, there are things that are good for us, but then there are things that are best for us. And we want to learn what is God's best for us. So measure good by God's standard. Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, Someone came to Jesus with this question. It said, Teacher, what good things must I do to have eternal life? What good things must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. And he said this, only God is good. That's what he said. Only God is good. So if Jesus is saying only God is good, what happens to good people? Because we say, why, why do bad things happen to good people? And we use that word good as a way to describe people. Or something that happened that was good. We describe it. But the, but the response that Jesus gave was only, only God is good. In other words, here's what happened in our world. God is good. And then we have the things in the world that is good. And so we actually took these two definitions of good and we kind of leveled it out. And instead of us saying, there is only one that is good, we said, no, there's also this kind of good and this kind of good. There's also this kind of good. And these, this kind of good can happen to me. And therefore, we get, we get God's good and how good God is meddled with good in our world. So by the time it comes to God's standard of what good is, we don't know what it is. It's all mixed up. And Jesus said, there is only one who is good, and that's God. Only God is good. Therefore, Heidi and I, when we uh, first got married, it took us seven years. Now, we, we met when we were, I was 12 and she was 13. So we were together for seven years before we got married. So I was 19 and Heidi was 20. And I remember going through marriage counseling. And they were talking about finances. They were talking about uh, when you uh, make decisions, how to, how to make decisions. And then how to parent your children. How are you going to do that? How are you going to discipline your children in the ways of the Lord? So we're going through all of that. And then through the marriage counseling, they said this one phrase that stuck with me. And this, this was our standard for our marriage. And just like in a, in a sentence or two, the pastor said, oh, yeah, and divorce is not an option. And then he continued on. And I said, wait, hang on. Wait, what do you mean? He says, yeah, d- divorce is not an option. And then he gave us the standards for which the Bible says if there is marital unfaithfulness, then there is that option. But even then, you can still reconcile. And so as he was talking about that, I thought, that's, so then there's, there's no way out then. This is, I'm just, and I didn't want to say stuck. I was going to say, so I'm just, I'm stuck with her? Because in the way of the world, the world says, hey, you can, you cannot. You can, you cannot. If can, can, no can. I was going to say burn us. If no can, then just dismiss them. 
That's kind of the ways of the world. And what I caught from that pastor is, if there is an option, I will always take it. So with Heidi and I, we said, okay, then that's not an option. That's just not an option. Abuse for Heidi and I was never an option. It just wasn't an option. Heidi and I had to go from the world's standard of good to God's standard of good. That verbal abuse, physical abuse, divorce is just not an option. And because of that standard, you know what it caused us to do? It caused us to press into the Lord. Because it's easy to bail out from everything when we don't live by God's standard. We just say, okay, well, if I have all these options, if I have all of these things that I can choose from, then why do I need God? And God is saying, there is a standard here that is best for you. And that's why he put the tree in the Garden of Eden. He said, here's a standard in which you are to live by. But you choose and what happened with Adam and Eve is they kind of just blended in with everyone else after that because they didn't live by God's standard. When Jesus came, he came to set us free from the world's standard. And he said, here's the standard of God in which you are to live by. It's holiness. It's not perfection because we can't live a perfect life. But he says, there's holiness that I want you to live by. And I knew that because God gave that to Heidi and I, the only option we had was to turn to God. That was the only option. Even when we went through our most horrific times in marriage, even when we, we had the big fights, and even though we, we had the, the disagreements and the, 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 the tough times, we had to come back to God because that was the only option. There was no other option. So we had to figure it out. And not only did it draw us near to God, but it also drew us near together. And as we went through that difficult time period, God brought us back to himself and brought us back to one another. See, the the fruit in the Garden of Eden, the fruit itself wasn't evil. It wasn't the fruit. God made the fruit. What was evil was the heart of man. That became evil as a result of letting what the devil was saying enter not just our mind, but then enter our heart. Then once it enters the heart, now we can consider it. Now we can start thinking about it. Now we can start saying, you know what? That might be another option. Because there must be something that God is hiding from me. If God doesn't want me to do something, maybe he's on to something. Maybe he just doesn't want me to have fun. And God is saying, no, I just want what's best for you. Because the road you're going to head on is not going to be what's best for you. It's going to be what's worse for you. James 3.13, it tells us, If you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. God gave us a way to live. He says there is a, a steady goodness. In other words, we're not up and down. We're not doing great one day and then, ooh, I'm going to try sneak and do these kind of stuff. And then maybe nobody would know. And then we go back down and, and, then, we, and then we rise up from that. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't meddle in that. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten from that fruit. Okay, let me go. Let me do some. I got to get back to God. And then we worship God. God, forgive me. And then God forgives us. Okay, here we are. Okay, we're back at the mountaintop. Okay, oh, but... Ugh. It's kind of tempting. And then we go back down and then we do the things we know we're not supposed to. 
And God says, hang on, that's not steady goodness. That's like a roller coaster ride. And so our life becomes that. God says, you're supposed to live in steady goodness. Not perfection, but steady goodness. We're still going to have those battles. We're still going to have those times where we get frustrated. We're still going to go through the difficult times of life. But he says, there's a steady goodness that I'm going to give to you. And the reason why we can live a steady goodness type of life is because only God is good. And God is steady. So he's going to steady us. He's going to be the goodness that happens in our life. See, if we measure good by sight or feeling or the end result or what someone said or the circumstance or a certain condition that we would want to meet, then we'll always be shifting in our own ways. But, a, but if we measure good by God's standard, then we don't have to worry about shifting. All we have to really do is trust in the Lord, lean on His understanding, not your own, and trust in His ways because apart from God, we can do no good. The Bible tells us that. We, we cannot do good apart from God. You might be thinking, okay, what if a decision I've made or going to make lines up with the ways of God? What if, what if it's in the Bible? Because we hear that often. It's in the Bible so I can do it. Here's the second thing. You can write this in. Check my motives often. Just check your motives. Because it can be in the Word of God. It can be in the Word of God. But here's what happens. Here's, here's how good we are and how crafty we can be when we partner with the enemy. We can actually take the Word of God out of context. But if we check our motives with the Spirit of God, there's no going around that. A couple years ago, a good friend of mine came up to me and he said, Hey, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. I said, Yeah, sure. He says, Okay, so um, I, don't, I don't know if this is God, but is gambling okay? Because I feel like God's saying, This is the way He's going to bless me financially. Can I gamble? Is gambling okay? Because it doesn't really say in the Bible, no gamble. It doesn't say, thou shalt not gamble. It's not there, but, but it does say that God will provide. So what if he's providing that way? And so I said, you know, you're right. It doesn't specifically say that, but there are other scriptures that talks about that kind of uh, uh, arena that you'll be in. But the way I'll do it is first, I'll make sure my relationship with God is first and foremost. So how is your relationship with God? Ah, oh, well, you know, I go to church once in a while. Okay, so you go to church once in a while. How's your, how's your, um, your devotional time? Uh, reading the Word of God and getting into the, into the Word of God. Ooh, I, I, don't, I don't read the Bible. I said, okay, so uh, what about, like, worship? Do you worship God? Do you, do you worship Him through your lifestyle that you put Him first, that you seek Him? You, you worship Him in song? And do you do that? No, I, I don't do that. And so I said, well, then your problem is not should you gamble. Your problem is you don't have a relationship with God. So if you're trying to focus on should I or should I not gamble, that's a small, tiny thing. Because if you were to gamble or if you, weren't, um, if you didn't gamble, it doesn't affect anything else of your relationship with God because you don't have one. So if you're saying, should I or should I not gamble, you're saying that as a way of saying, is this, 
is this a God thing or is this not a God thing? And he says, yeah. I said, but you're not even walking with God, so why do you care about gambling? He says, so, so what should I do? We can go Vegas. I said, you go to the Lord and you ask him. He says, oh, I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so I said, well, that's your relationship with the Lord. See, God is not out to condemn us. He's out to cause us to be conquerors. He wants us to be victorious. But if we're just asking the surface questions, it's like the serpent just has to come over and say, did God really say that? And if we're at a place that we don't have a relationship with God, we're just going to add here and there. We're going to say, yeah, well, he kind of said that, but I don't really know. I mean, God is good, so doesn't he want me to have good? Well, check your motives. Go back to God. And if we don't check our motives or sift through it or dissect it, then we'll define good by what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? Because if I get something out of this and I feel good, must be God. And so now we have a different standard of living. We're, de- we're redefining what good is. And no one else will check your motives but you. No one else can do that. No one else can, can really check your motives or your purpose. No one else can do that for you. No one else can check your hidden agendas. No one else can do that. Proverbs seventeen twenty it says, He who has a deceitful heart finds no good. So if you already have a deceitful heart, you're going to find no good. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. See, our hearts are already deceitful. There's no good in it. Add to that a perverse tongue, and no wonder we end up in the pit. It's like we just have no clear direction, and God says, that's why you need me. It's like, it's like the, the bridle of a horse. That's what perverse means. It means to turn this way and that way. The bridle of a horse, that's what it does to the horse. It makes the horse turn this way or that way. There are many bridles out there in life that will make you turn this way or that way that has nothing to do with God. But it sounds, feels, and even looks good. And then we follow those ways rather than the ways of God. You're going to have seasons where people are going to say, oh, no, you should, you should invest in this. You should buy a house. You should rent. You should get a new car. You should, you, should, uh, you should see this person. You should dump that person. You should do this. You should do that. And so you're listening to all these voices, and it's like you have to go back to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, i got to make some decisions, but what are you saying? Because I want to check my motives. I want to check what's happening on the inside. I don't... I don't want to be led by the bridles out there. I don't want to be led astray. I want to hear what you have to say. And I always look at it this way. Wait on the Lord, not what looks good. You wait on Him. Not what looks good, not what feels good. Not what looks right, not what feels right. Because people will say, oh, just follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And who can know it? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. If our heart is that deceitful, why in the world would we follow our heart? And God knows it's that deceitful. That's why Jesus, when he came on this earth, remember what he told his disciples before they followed him? He said simple words, three words, come follow me. Did not mention heart at all. He just said, come follow me. And they were like, okay, are we mending nets? Okay, we're going to follow you. All right, fishing, come follow me. I'm going to follow you. And they did. 
Because Jesus knew that our hearts are deceitful. And it's, it's wicked, desperately wicked, and no one can understand it. You know when it comes to value of your life? I would say check your motives often because you're that valuable to God. Some of you might play this game. I think it's on our smartphones. I think it's something to do with like Scrabble or words with friends or, or something like that. And whenever you play either the, the app or the real game board, you know, Scrabble, you try your very best to get the best word with, to get the highest value, right? You look for the, the, the triple word. You look for the double letter. You look for all of that. And you try your very best. Uh, some of you cheat, which hey, that's between you and the Lord. But some of you, you go on another app and you try and look up words. You go to the dictionary and you look up words and then you figure things out. And that's, you know, whatever. But the whole point to Scrabble is you want to find the highest value for the letters you have. And so you sift through it, you, you, you check it over and over, you, you switch it around, and you try to find the highest value. And that's what checking your motives is like. Checking your motives is like Scrabble, that you try to find the highest value when you check your motives. You just start checking, okay, but if I made this decision, Lord, is that you? And wait on the Lord. Lord, if I made this decision, would it be the highest value for my life? Would it be what's best for me? And when we check our motives, it actually eliminates what is not of God and allows what is God to rise to the surface. That's when we scrub our motives and check our motives. And when God is at the highest place in our lives, then what's good for me doesn't really become an issue because God knows what's best for me. Well, how do I know if it is God? Here's the last thing. You can write this in. Do your daily devotions. Do daily devotions. Yeah, but I don't have time to read the Word of God. Listen, the time it takes for you to deal with heartache is way less time in doing your devotions. Well, doing your devotions is going to be way less time than the heartache and pain we're going to be dealing with. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot better when we are in the Word of God Dealing with the heartache and pain that will still come our way. We will be a lot better. We're going to be able to make better decisions. We're going to be able to make wiser decisions. We're going to be able to be in it for the long haul. Because you cannot get to know God without getting to know his word. Because this is the word of God. What he said, he is still saying because he never changes. So being in the word of God will help us. And if you never spend time with him one-on-one listening to his words, then you will never get to know God on a personal level. So by the time he's trying to speak to you, by the time he's trying to speak to me, if we don't know him, we're not even going to recognize his voice. So when you do your daily devotions, you begin to hear God's voice. You begin to catch a certain character quality of God that you know it's his voice. And then you get to receive from him. Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the word of God. It's not going to be the circumstance or someone else. It's going to be the word of God. That's what's going to help us to discern, to make that decision the best decision. It's going to be the word of God. See, his word is able to judge over our thoughts and intentions of the heart. His word can do that. 
And you might think, well, why does my heart need a judge? Why does my thought, my thoughts need a judge? Why, why, why do we need that? Well, as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful. So if the heart is deceitful, then something needs to judge it. Something needs to say, good, bad, no, wait. You know, something needs to do that, and that's the Word of God. Now, some of us have children. They're, you know, still young yet, so you have to tell them yes or no. You have to coach them. You know, even with grandchildren, like our, our, our grandchildren, I have to constantly, over and over, say the same thing. The other day, one of our grandchildren, Oakley, the youngest one, uh, pulled off one of those plugs. You know those, those uh, protectors? Pulled off one of those protectors, and I was watching him, and then he picked up one of our blenders from under the cupboard because he plays with them. He picked it up, and he grabbed the plug, and he was about to plug it in. Now I'm watching him, and I'm thinking, okay, you can get shock. So I walked up to him, and I said, Oakley, no, no. And so he looked at me, and he put it down. Later on that day, he's playing with something else, and I had to say, Oakley, no, no. And he looks at me like, wow, you just don't like me have fun. And then later on, he's playing with his brother, and then I know he was just about to do something that would have hurt his brother. I said, Oakley, and he stopped. I didn't have to say no. He just knew my voice. Like, we as parents, we can say, we say no about nine different ways. We say no with verbally saying no. We say no with just, you know, calling them by their full name. We say no by throwing something. We say no through our countenance. Or if they ask us, hey, mom, I can go out tonight. And you're like, uh, and you're like oh, come on, mom. You, you, you say no in so many different ways. Well, God says no. He says no many different ways. But if we don't know his voice, we won't hear it when he does say no. We won't recognize it when he says that's not what's best for you. If we spend more time in the world than we do with God, we're going to listen to the ways of the world. And that's going to sound like God's voice. And all the devil has to come in to do is deceive us. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He just deceived them. He deceived Eve, actually, when he said, this is not what God said. And he can do the very same thing with us. That's what he does He deceives us. John 15, verse 4, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Now, if you cut off a branch from the tree, it it still looks good, still green. But if you don't, if, if you wait and watch after a while, it'll soon wither and die. And for some of us, when we sever ourselves from God, we're doing okay. We're fine. Look at how great. We're doing great. But you watch after a while. We wither away and die. John 10, 14. I love how Jesus says this, and he kind of wraps everything together. He gives us his grace and his comfort. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And this is what Jesus says to us. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, why did Jesus have to lay down his life for us, as he calls sheep? Well, sheep get led astray easily, very easily. So he likens us to sheep. 
But he said, even though you get led astray, I will still lay down my life for you. Yeah, but I've been disobedient. I, I've done some things that it, I thought it was good, but it, I guess it's not you. Well, I will still lay down my life for you. Yeah, but what if I've strayed from you so far? He said, I still lay down my life for you. But I've done some horrible things. Yeah, I, see, I, I saw that coming. Tried to speak to you, but it just wasn't connecting. But I still lay down my life for you. But Lord, I'm not worthy to, to have that much value. It's like Jesus has to draw us back to him, away from the garden, away from the tree of life, away from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, away from our, our own way of thinking, and he kind of draws us near to himself and just reminds us that when he first created us, it was good. the good that God saw was not in what we were going to do. The reason why God said it is good was because of the relationship we have with him. Because your good and God's good is completely different. There is no one that is good, not one. But God is the one that is good. If you ever want to know if it's God, don't start looking at, is it good? Is it going to be good for me? Because if it is God, it will be good. You won't have to worry about if it's going to be good for you. Because God will be with you. And that is what is most important. That's why Jesus gave his life. What we so desperately chase after has never laid down its life for us. But Jesus did. Pursue him, and he will help us conquer everyday battles when we start questioning, is it really God? Because you'll know him, not circumstance. Because God is good. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we live in a world that camouflages what is good for us in your eyes. We have an enemy that is so crafty that he's able to twist and, and make what you have already said seem like you're hiding something from us. That there is life more than just having a relationship with you. That there is something out there that we're missing out on But if we have a relationship with you and we spend time with you, we do our devotions or we read the Bible, we check our motives, we live by your standard, and we measure good by your standard, then what's best for us will be happening because you're what's best for us. You're the reason why we live and exist and breathe. And without you, Lord, we would just exist in this world and blend in with everyone else, but we're not supposed to be. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And so you've given us a life to live that's best for us, not just to live a so-called good life. You want us to live a God life, a life that represents you well, a life that reflects you well. 
a life that you intended for us to live by. And so I pray for all of us tonight, Lord, regardless of where we came from, what our past looks like, what's happening in our life today, Lord, it's from this point on that we will live by your standard, that we will scrub our motives, we will check our motives, that we'll spend time with you, dig into your word, worship you with our spirit, so that when it comes to making decisions, we don't have to wait for the situation to know our answer. We already know our decision because we've spent time with you. And you're able to do that because you are good. Thank you for being a good God and for helping us to conquer everyday battles. It is only through your spirit. For apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. We thank you for that and being our God. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. We all said amen.